This is Web Suasion Conversation, episode 14. Welcome to the show. I am Ryan Williams, president of the Web Suasion Group and Capoca Studios, coming to you from our studio here at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia. Today on the show, we have Corey Rick of the Long-Term Care Planning Group. He's going to talk to us about his niche insurance firm and the approach he takes when selling sensitive products to clients. And he also talks about teaching and building relationships. Corey has a couple of radio shows that he does on Business Radio X, which is an internet streaming service. One is called Tuesdays with Corey, and the other is Market Mate, which he was kind enough to have me on as a guest recently. Now, Corey is a great example of someone who understands the power of content marketing, how it shows expertise in your industry, helps you to make important business development connections, and keeps you top of mind in your social media feeds like LinkedIn. Here at Kapoka Studios, one of the things we do, much like this podcast, is produce ongoing content for weekly YouTube channel feeds, podcast feeds, and your social media channels. If you are an executive or entrepreneur in the Atlanta area and want to learn more about how to take your knowledge and your connections and turn them into ongoing content, give us a call, 404-418-8909. I can tell you from personal experience that an interesting aspect of doing these kind of ongoing interview shows or conversations is that you come up with all kinds of content ideas that you can expand upon You also get to see the response from your ideal clients online to your content. It leads you down the path of creating unique website content, unique social media content that speaks directly to your ideal client and sets you apart in your industry. So once again, give us a call 404-418-8909 so we can talk to you about how you can take your expertise and turn it into your credibility marketing strategy. And now, our interview with Corey Rick. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. You're with Long-Term Care Planning Group. It's your company, right? It is, yes. Before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you go to school and what was your first intro into you know, manufacturing? I know you had a lot of stuff that you worked on before you got into what you do now. Everybody's going to know how old I am. I uh, graduated <laughs> from high school in 1983 and uh, upon graduation from high school, went to the University of Iowa and was there from 1983 to 87. Got a business degree and when I completed, I went to work in Pella, Iowa at Pella Roll Screen and got some experience with manufacturing and making windows. Learned a lot about just-in-time inventory and world-class manufacturing. Met a lot of really good people, got some excellent experience. And then about after two years there, went back to school and got an MBA. Okay. And then got some more uh, experience at another manufacturing organization in the early 90s. And then at the end of that, I realized that I needed to sell something. What drove you to to sales? What was it that made that pop off in your head that that was important? I had always kind of had the idea that maybe I would run my own company or have my own business someday, but I wasn't exactly sure at that time what that would be. And having the manufacturing and sort of operational experience was useful. And I realized that 
you know, I need to get some additional experience and learn more about meetings and, and setting up uh, right. sales and business development. And, and you get that, I think, more simply by working for someone else, especially when you're, you know, in your 20s. And yeah. in the early 90s, uh, I started a career with A.H. Robbins selling pharmaceuticals in central Minnesota. Got some great experience there and took one of the worst territories in the region and made it one of the best almost immediately and really enjoyed the job. Had a great manager, looked out for me, taught me a lot, made a lot of good friends from that. And then in the middle of mid-90s, probably uh, June of 1994, I was contacted by another company to go sell neurological medications of all things in the mid-90s in Minneapolis. And uh, Minneapolis is where I wanted to live. And kind of the same scenario, there was a very, very much a struggling territory, a lot more complex working in the Twin Cities as opposed to central Minnesota, seeing doctors and so forth, and was fortunate enough to turn the same trick there too and make that territory one of the best almost immediately. Was your experience working with pharmaceuticals and doctors, is that kind of what got you into the healthcare side of things? How'd you even get introduced to that? (laughs) This is ironic. In the early 90s, in the fall of 1991, I answered an ad in the Minneapolis Tribune, of all things. That probably wouldn't happen now, but uh, I answered an ad for H. Robbins, and there was, I don't know, over 2,000 people that applied, and you know, I was fortunate, maybe lucky, but I worked very, very hard at being you know, one of the final two people yeah. uh, to get the opportunity. And I can remember this like it was yesterday. The, the man that did the hiring, he's since passed now, he said, Corey, I really want to hire you, but you, you got to give me something. You don't have any experience. You're changing fields. You got to give me something. And I came up with something that was a difference maker, and I just said, Mr. Joel, I know that if you hire me, you will undoubtedly be crawling out onto a limb. I can assure you I will do every single thing in my power every minute of every day to make sure that that limb never even gets close to being sawed off. He looked at my boss and he said, when can you start? So, uh, you know, just a great, great set of circumstances there. But I answered an ad in the paper to answer your question. And they were doing what specifically? Selling pharmaceuticals to uh, medical doctors. Okay. Like pain medication. Uh, We sold heart medications for blood pressure to cardiologists. Uh, Really got some excellent experience there. It's a little bit different when you're on somebody else's dime and you have an expense account and you have a car and you have all those things. Right. As opposed to, you know, what you and I are doing where... It's your money. Yeah, yeah. What got you into insurance then? How did you transition? Yeah, so I had I had the manufacturing experience. I had the two experiences with the pharmaceutical companies. I sold actually dental implants from January of 96 till March of 2000, and that was a direct sale, whereas mm-hmm. uh, pharmaceuticals was indirect. And then I realized I really wanted to do something on my own. And so um, I got into financial services in 2000. And in the beginning was, you, you know, helping people with financial planning, right. with life insurance, with disability. And I realized this long-term care thing, this is almost 20 years ago. I didn't like how it was being sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a fan of making people afraid. And I really decided to focus on that because the issues around long-term care really spoke to me, largely due to personal experience. I mean, I know a lot of insurance agents and they'll deal with long-term care if you bring it up or whatever, but I, you're the only person I've known that specializes in it. So what are some of the things that you found where, you know, I mean, obviously you carved out a niche with this. What is it that you were like, okay, this is what I want to do? I think I applied a lot of the things that I learned from calling on physicians and dentists and, and that we needed to create an air of consultative engagement. We needed, in order to do that, people have to feel comfortable. Right. They have to be able to talk to you and say, well, hey, Ryan, I don't understand 
understand why the government doesn't pay for this, or I don't understand why my health insurance doesn't pay for it, or I don't understand why it's relevant. And if you can speak freely and really have a conversation and educate people, not everybody's on our timeline. Right. Uh, you know, it may or may not be right timing-wise for them to take the planning action, but I think the timing is always right for them to get educated and get their questions answered. We should probably back up a little bit and define what long-term care actually is for a lot of people that probably haven't even thought about this at all. So how do you explain that to, to clients? Yeah, generally long-term care is the kind of help you might need as a result of prolonged illness or disability. It could be that we're dealing with the effects of having lived a long life. It could be somebody that has a post-retirement issue like Alzheimer's or dementia. And the insurance that we help people with provides a stream of income to pay for care in the venue of their choosing. And to be clear, Medicare is not paying for any it of isn't. this. No, I think that to be clear, Medicare is health insurance. And health insurance, whether it's Medicare or your private health insurance, exists for skilled and rehabilitative care only. Think of them like bookends. Medicare and private health insurance and long-term care with your health insurance, it's going to help you get better. It's delivered by somebody with a lot of training, a medical doctor, physical therapist, and they're using things like tube feedings, IVs, and so on, all delivered when there's an expectation of improvement. Long-term care is delivered when there's not an expectation of improvement. Right. And you and me don't need a medical doctor to help us get a sandwich or to help us bathe. Right. And manifestly, there's two ways that a client would collect benefits. One is if they cannot perform two out of the six ADLs, which is an acronym for activities of daily living, eating, bathing, dressing, toileting, transferring, incontinence, their medical professional writes what's called a 90-day certification letter and they say, hey, our patient is not going to get better for the next 90 days. He or she can no longer eat or bathe. That's one way. The other way is if there's cognitive impairment. And manifestly, that's four things. Uh, orientation as to person, place, or time, deductive or abstract reasoning, judgment as it relates to safety, awareness, or memory matters. And many right. times a determination on that issue can be made by looking at what's in the medical records or by giving the client a standardized test. So it's either or. And to finalize, the way that somebody goes on claim is subjective, but it is subjective with somebody that should have complete command of your medical history. Right. And you can work with any kind of insurance. You're an independent agent, right? Yeah. Our organization has been around since 2001. And what we've done is we're carrier neutral and instrument neutral, which means we work with all of the carriers that broker their product. That's important for many reasons. But right at the top, after we educate people, we take a lot of time with them to understand their medical history. Right. Because on the individual long-term care side of things. They look at your tenure medical history, your tenure surgical history, and medications that you've taken or have taken. Now, if you don't have any history, you're going to have a lot of options. Right. Okay. But if you do have history, you have to be very, very careful and thoughtful about what you do. And it almost can beget a second strategy to find a carrier that is most amenable with the medical history that is being presented. What is your biggest challenge when you're selling long-term care? Is it just getting in the door with people? I know it's an uncomfortable subject. How do you navigate that? We try to make an uncomfortable subject comfortable. We try to take a complex subject and make it straightforward. We've built a lot of automation. We've built a lot of algorithms. And we're there to help people. I realize that today may not be the day to, that everybody wants to take action. Right. We try to build a business where people get what they need and they can be the benefactor of our web-based systems, our paper-based systems, and our people-based systems. Because right. I think people need a combination of all those three things to figure out what they should do about this. You actually do some training as well, don't you, uh, with Certified Long-Term Care, CLTC? Can you yes. talk about that? Yeah. I um, One year into this, 
I took a class called the Certification in Long-Term Care. It was a three-day class then. It was really an intensive crash course about all the things you need to be able to be conversational about with long-term care, Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicaid, the tax law, the different products, the underwriting, and the responsibilities to the carriers and the individual clients. And taking that class changed my life. It changed how I viewed the business. It changed how I went about things. And so I felt so strongly enough about it that I became an instructor for them. And there's, I don't know, three or four of us nationwide that do this. And I do it for multiple reasons. One, I love teaching. Two, it keeps me sharp. And three, it's a way that on some small level, I can give back to the industry that's given so much to me. I think that if I can take what I've learned and give it to somebody and shorten their timeline on on them getting to where they need to go, then I think I will have done a service. But since 2003, I've probably trained 4,000 advisors on this from San Francisco to Wall Street. Hopefully some of that is coming out in our discussion today. Right, right. So, I mean, what kind of training is it though? Are you telling how to build their business, how to sell the products, how to place people? It's how to talk to people proactively about long-term care, Okay. how to educate clients, contacts, and friends about it, why they should understand it, You know what their state laws are tax-wise, how to speak in front of people. There is some business development in it. A lot of it is objection handling and getting out ahead of things before they hurt the client. Right. It's more about how to be conversational. And we have this idea of uh, teaching people how to create an air of consultative engagement with clients so they feel comfortable and so that they can have a conversation about what to do about this. Right. Well, you're about, what, 18 years into this career now? Um, 2001. Yeah. So I guess it's 18 and change. Uh, Doesn't seem like it's been that long. I know. It's crazy. 22 years for me for mine, and it it doesn't seem like it at all. So if you could go back and advise yourself in 2001, is there anything that you would do differently? Sure. There's, There's a number of things. I think that in any business, when you get started, There are things that you have to learn. There are missteps you have to make. There are obstacles you have to overcome. And I'm part of a a group, uh, well, you're in this group too, Vistage. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's executive coaching and they help you with matters related to working on your business. And I learned about Vistage in 2011 when I was 10 plus years into this. And I have experienced success. There's no telling where I would be if I would have started Vistage earlier. It was that big of a boost for you. It was a big difference maker. I think having a team of people that you meet with once a month to kind of run things by and have them give you an unvarnished opinion is valuable because, you know, as the business owner, sometimes you may struggle with, is that person telling me what I want to hear? Are they telling me what I need to hear? And, you know, how much varnish has been put on what they're telling me? Yeah. Yeah. With something like Vistage, what's been the greatest benefit? Any company has a board, right? And we have 10, we we will have uh, 10 to 12 members in our group. And with any board, you would have to meet, you'd have to be accountable, and you'd have to run things by them that are affecting your business, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think the fact that we can go to this and get an unvarnished opinion about whatever is going on and be confidential about it, I don't always know what the next move is. And, uh, you know, with all of the automation that they've helped me with, the branding, uh, the algorithms, the intellectual property, I'm pretty sure I would have made a lot more missteps than I have the last eight years without Vistage. That I'm certain of. Were you running completely solo until recently? Well, I've always had help. I've had a lot of help from the carriers because of the business that's been driven there. I have other people that I split revenue with. I've had part-time help and I've had teams of people that, you know, people like yourself that help me that are subject matter experts at marketing, you know, content and things of that nature. Part of that has been because of the automation that has been developed with the help of Vistage, with the help of my branding team. But also part of it has been you have to find the right person and the right people to help you. 
And I mean, you, I'm probably yeah. not telling you anything you don't know. That's the toughest part. Yeah. Just being able to find somebody that you can continuously work with and improve that. And I think- Build a team. I think I had to learn by having a couple of part-time assistants, two part-time assistants, each working 10 to 20 hours a week and so on. And then really coming to the conclusion that, hey, there's so many things that happen as fast as we're growing, as fast as we're moving, that I just need to be able to say to somebody like Amber, hey, I need you to do this right now. Right. And you know, if you have a part-time person and it's not their day to work, then, then you end up doing it or you end up waiting. And sometimes that can really adversely affect you. So on the sales side of things, I mean, you're having to build a book from two 2001 from scratch, I imagine, right? Yes. You were starting completely from scratch. I did. Have things changed much in that time from a referral standpoint or anything? And what have you found that's most effective that's kind of tried and true? I think being available and being out there with people that one of the biggest levelers, I think, in our industry has been technology. Yeah. You know, with blogging, public speaking. I've gotten a fair amount of business from ex-students that they learn how complex this is and they say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, right. want, to I don't do want to do that. I'll I pass just, it on. Yeah. I'll just pass it on to this guy. And right. so, uh, and that really happened unwittingly. I did not go in to be an instructor to get that, but right. fortunately, I have gotten a fair amount of business from students that I've taught because they don't want to do this. Right. Over the years, I've also within Atlanta have built up a pretty healthy amount of people that you know they don't want to do this. Whether right. they're benefits brokers, they they they're life insurance brokers, they're planners, they're fee based planners, and they just say, I don't want to do this. I want to give it to a guy that. He touches it every day. He's an inch wide, a mile deep. He's neutral. And you know, so many people think because of the history of having trained people and having focused on this solely since 2001, some see that as a competitive advantage for them. Well, you've also got your own podcast as well too, right? Can you tell me, what, what, tell me about that? I, I have uh, a couple of years ago, actually this happened with Invistage. They encouraged me to focus more on specific markets. Uh-huh. And one of the markets that is really interested in long-term care is executive women. Okay. And so I built this radio show called Tuesdays with Corey, and we have executive women on the show, and we talk about them. We talk about all the great things that they're doing, the contributions to their communities, their uh, companies, and their families, and so on. And I realized when I met with the people at Business Radio X, Stone Payton, who's been a great partner, he said, you ought to start a show, and you ought to interview women, uh-huh. And you ought to just talk about them. Is this completely live every week you're doing it, that? It's, it's, it's live the second Tuesday of the month. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, from 10.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on Business Radio X. Okay. Uh, but I realized that after I had my meeting with him, and this has been going, I think we've had 50 guests so far, and we've been at it almost two years. It'll be two years in October. Nice. I realized early on I was influenced positively by women. My mom was a business owner. She started a uh, preschool called Hansel and Gretel, which is still hmm. in existence today in our hometown of Waseca, Minnesota. And that came out of her calling me and my brother and sister in pretty much every day, you know, during the summer to learn flashcards and to read. And then she got the idea that, hey, we need to put this out to other people, not just our kids. And then my sister was an excellent high school athlete in the mid seventies at a time when girls maybe weren't supposed to be doing that. So I think on many levels, she was ahead of her time there. I think won 12 or 13 letters, captain three or four sports is in the high school hall of fame, ran track at Iowa and so on. So I realized it didn't seem odd to me that my mom and my sister did what they did. 
I guess it was unique looking back now. Right. Well, so what are you looking forward to in the future? How would you like to see your business grow? What are you hoping to to achieve? Well, I think, you know, the way that we've iterated is we've developed a lot of automation. We do a lot of blogging and a lot of posting and a lot of social media. And we give people access to our materials on our website. You know, I'm looking forward to continuing to grow it. And I think over the years, one of the things that has been really kind of neat is you have, I don't know, I have probably... 250 to 300 people in the last 20 years that have either sent me business or could. Wow. And, you know, you have to be available to those people with breakfast, lunches, and coffee and things of that nature, or phone calls, mm-hmm. uh, or networking groups. And, and I like that. But uh, we get a lot of business on our own because of what's out in social media as well. So, you know, if I get a referral from you, that's kind of like a wholesale right. set of circumstances because it came from a third party. If I go out and get it myself, it's more retail. So right. I like the business development part of it. I don't know why everybody in my family and my friends that sell, they, they say, you're nuts. That's right. the part about it that I don't like. Yeah. And that usually is the thing people don't like. And that's the thing that I really like. What percentage of your time do you find you're doing networking and stuff versus actually working directly with a potential client or a prospect? I'm a breakfast guy. Yeah. You know, I've known each other a while. You know, you pretty much know my habits. I mean, I'm at most mornings at four in the morning to be in the pool by 4.30 to swim. I like to be at Goldberg's by 6 a.m. to have my coffee and read my paper. And so a lot of my meetings are around breakfast. Uh-huh. I do very, very few lunch meetings because what I found is many times people's days fall apart. And many times you have to travel 15, 20, 30 minutes to lunch. Right. Then there's an hour, hour and a half for lunch. And then there's the time back. And, you know, you're looking at a three hour yeah. Uh, investment. It breaks your day up. And and, yeah. and I find that I respond better early in the morning and people that know me know where they can find me uh, mm-hmm. on West Paces, you know, most mornings during the right. week. And so I do my business development there. And then the rest of the day I am meeting personally with people or working on their cases virtually. I mean, obviously with Zoom and, you know, webinars and things of that nature, you can do things more virtually. Being old school, I like to do what you and I face are doing. I like, yeah. I like to be in front of people. Yeah. How much of that is happening now? I mean, do you have a lot of clients that are out of state or did they start out here and move? Like, how would you even connect out of state with clients like that? Well, we can do phone calls. We, we spend a lot of time with people on the front end. Most of the time, there there isn't any adjustment that needs to be made to their plan because they have what they need. Right. And as long as they continue to pay their premiums and there's no interruption, there really is, in most cases, no adjustment made to that. So a lot of my time is spent working with people that are thinking about this and want to know exactly you know what's best for them in terms of a plan design and what carrier to go to. You've developed this niche. What have you found that really, other than the niche itself of long-term care, what really sets you apart? I think the fact that we just talk to people. You know, you don't want to go to your dentist if you need a root canal and have him or her show you a chart about where they're going to do the injection with the nerve block and right. you know, what kind of tools they're going to use on your tooth. You want them to take the pain away. You want to know what time it is, not how to build a watch. Right, and, I, right, and I think that there's an art to making people feel comfortable around something that isn't so comfortable. Right. And I think that when we meet with people, we spend a lot of time with them. We don't push them. If the situation were reversed, when I buy something, I don't want to be pushed. Right. I want somebody to answer my questions, to talk to me, be consultative. I think people that want to move are going to make the next move. They're going to say, Ryan, what comes next? Or Ryan, hey, what are the next steps? What do you need from me? Is there a particular instance in somebody's life when it's really a good time for them to start thinking about that? I mean, when you're young, you're just not thinking about long-term care, but is there usually a trigger for you that well, you find? Well, 
when you're young, you're bulletproof, right? right? This is never going to happen to you. And and I think as you get older, you realize how much smarter your parents are, for starters. But I think you also realize one of the variables with long-term care is on the individual side of things, you're individually underwritten. Yeah. So you have to have your health because they review your 10-year medical history, your 10-year surgical history, and what medications you've taken or are taken. You know, the longer that we go and we don't do anything about this, the greater the likelihood that something is going to happen that could preclude us from the coverage or alter the sort of coverage we could get. So, you know, as we say, money pays for it, health buys it. Right. We start talking to people right around the age of 40. And the reason is by that time, usually they may have maybe have had some experience. They maybe start thinking about it. Right. But those folks usually have parents in their 60s and you know, they may get it. They may understand. They may say, well, Corey, I, you know, the timing isn't right for me, but you know, maybe you could talk to my dad or my mom about this. They're 63 or 64 or what have you. And that's part of it. And we're looking to build relationships that, that go the distance that last a long time. So early 60s is not necessarily too late to start planning? No, it's an age-based instrument. I mean, most carriers will write people between the ages of 19 and 83, depending upon the product really? and the state. Okay. And so the older we are, the more we're going to pay. And you're, there can right. be a 2 to 3% premium difference between each year and age. So that is one of the factors that dictates the price along with underwriting and what sort of plan people would have. The other thing that sets us apart is the fact that we focus on this solely since 2001. And, you know, I saw a need for a business probably before there was a business. Thankfully, it has turned into a business. And we've developed our own systems and tools to help people get to wherever it is they need to go with this issue. And I think the fact that we have been involved training and shaping the industry on some small level and we use all the carriers, I think is advantageous as well. Great. Well, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. It's a great opportunity and we, uh, we appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it would be great if you can leave us a review that helps other people to find us on those podcast platforms. And definitely check out our YouTube channel where we have video excerpts of these conversations online that we post throughout the week. You can get to that easily by going to our website at websuasion.com. That's W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M. Go to the very top of the page and you'll see links to social media. And one of those will be YouTube. While you're there, also sign up for our mailing list so that you can get updates on upcoming speakers for the podcast and tips and tricks that we will give you for website development and content marketing. Next week on the show, we have Emma Loggins, an entrepreneur and self-proclaimed geek girl. She runs the FanBolt site, which covers the entertainment industry, as well as her own marketing firm, Excite Creative Studios. We hope you'll join us, and until then, have a productive work week.